0: Justin listens and he can try. He said he can identify whose laughter it is every time he listens to the podcast. Oh, who? Oh, Sunny fan. Oh, I'm sorry, Sunny. Hi, Sunny. How are you? Hi, Sunny. Say hi, hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. Hi, Justin. hi, Justin's, mom. hi Justin's, mom. Justin's mom. Justin's mom's been listening to our podcast, and her English is really good, and uh, she just loves. Uh, the sermons. She loves our missions videos, and she's just been really blessed and minister to. And Justin called this week, and he was just telling us Justin was a was a college student at Yonsei Exchange Program this past semester, and uh, he was just radically just transformed uh, by the Holy Spirit during his time here. Um, today we're going to look at this parable. This is the famous parable of the persistent widow, and for those who've been in church for a while. Many of us know it, we've heard sermons about it, and today, I hope that I can offer some fresh revelation regarding what's contained here in this parable. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. Now it begins in verse 1, by saying that Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Let me get the mic turned down a little bit, sorry. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. In other words, the author gives away the meaning behind the parable before we even read about it. It's like watching a movie, but having the director come at the beginning of the movie and tell us the ending of the movie before it begins. It's like, thanks a lot. Who wrote this? Luke. Thanks a lot, Luke. Now that I got the gist of it, I guess there's no point in reading through the parable. Okay. Now before you skim over this parable, I want us to study it together because the imagery that Christ uses here drives home the main point in a very powerful way. And so, (laughs) you know, at our church when we pray for each other, there are some people that get regularly, they get prophetic visions when they're praying for people. And a lot of times these visions are very encouraging uh, they're very prophetic, they're, they're neat. Other times when uh, there's a mystery involved, uh, it leaves us scratching our heads. But you ever ask yourself, why does God use visions and dreams? Why is God so fascinated? Why is, he, why is He always using visions and dreams? Why not just make it easy for us and just tell us what He wants? Just tell us the message. Give it to us in plain words. Why visions and dreams? Well, I believe that God inspires prophetic visions very frequently because, first of all, God is creator and he's very creative. He can give the same message in a million different ways. And he, he, he just does it because he can. Because he's God. But I believe also God utilizes prophetic visions Because the main message can be driven into your heart more powerfully when God utilizes images, visions, stories, allegories, and parables rather than just words. For example, the message, God loves you no matter what. It's a simple message, and when it's spoken over you, it may not evoke much emotion, although you understand what it means. But that same message has been communicated very powerfully throughout history through the the parable of the prodigal son. When this parable is utilized, the message, God loves you no matter what, it it hits home a lot more vividly, a lot more powerfully. It stirs up emotions that words alone can't. So I believe these are some of the reasons why God utilizes parables, visions, dreams, allegories. So the message here, you ought always pray and not lose heart. It's a good message, but I believe that this message will hit you more powerfully after we're done taking apart the parable. The point of parables is not for you to just figure out the main point. It's for you to get that main message deep inside your heart so that you're walking in it and living it. Amen? So let's go ahead and look at this parable. Verse (coughs) 2. He said, "In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man." Let's stop there. So we have a man in a certain city. He's working as a judge. I want us to meet this judge. When you meet this judge, you will notice right away his poor character. This is a judge who does not fear God. This means that he's a he's a he's a he's a pagan. He's a he's a heathen. He's a Atheist, you know, whatever you want to call him, right? He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't fear God's wrath because he doesn't believe God exists. He doesn't fear or he believes God exists, but he doesn't really f- care about him. He doesn't fear God's wrath. And therefore, he acts as a man who, will, who feels like he'll never be held accountable for his actions. So he does a lot of selfish things. He does a lot of careless things. He has no concern for his conscience about what's right or wrong. And truth is whatever he deems to be. It also says this judge did not respect man. This means that the judge doesn't care about what people think or his reputation. This was a judge that did not fear God nor respect man. So he's a perfect stranger both to godliness and honor. Now, when man lacks godliness and honor, this is a bad thing. But when a judge lacks these virtues, it's far worse. To be in a position of power and authority and not to be governed by the principles of righteousness and justice, this judge is more likely to do harm than good. So that's the judge. He's a judge that does not fear God nor respects man. So that's the judge. Now let's meet the widow. Look at verse 3. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Somebody say, give me, give, me give me justice. This widow's got problems. She's got problems. She's got issues. We don't know the nature of her situation, but we do know that she's got problems. And so she's looking to the help of this judge. Now, it's a bad thing First of all, if you're a woman that is married, and then you lose your husband. You know When a man gets married and loses his wife, that man can go on. Usually that man probably, he'll just take a few months and then get back on his feet and keep living his life. But when a woman loses her husband, it's a much more devastating thing especially in a culture where women didn't get college degrees, get educations, they didn't get jobs, they were there to be a housewife, there to support the husband, and the husband dies. It's the most devastating thing to become a widow. And on top of that, she has an enemy that has been cheating her, extorting her, taking advantage of her, whatever it was. It was tormenting her, and she just couldn't stand it. And so therefore she comes to the, to the judge and she, 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 she wants justice against her adversary and she wants it now. Now, if the widow was a wealthy widow, she could probably just bribe the judge and just get her way. Or if the widow had a friend that was a high famous lawyer she can get that friend to build a case against her adversary and perhaps then she can get justice. But this woman, this widow, she's both poor and she doesn't have any access to friends like that. So she goes and the only thing she has is her voice. And she, she's alone, she's poor, she's tortured, she's desperate for justice. So she comes to the judge, she pleads, she begs, she nags the judge. Give me justice against my adversary. Look at verse (coughs) 4. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because the widow keeps God in me, I will give her justice. It says here, for a while he refused. Have you ever felt that way when you pray for something? You ask God for something? But it seems like he's refusing you. He's just not answering you. I'm familiar with this. Every single year. I have a righteous prayer that I bring before the Lord. Lord. Help the Philadelphia Eagles win a Super Bowl. And for a while, God has refused my petition. But the Bible says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful in the fact that I decree and declare that I will not be denied. Hallelujah. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, um, looking here at verse 4 and 5. The judge says to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. He refuses for a while. But this woman keeps coming to him. So he says to himself... So I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this woman keeps bothering me. Man, this woman is annoying. She's obnoxious. Woman, go home. Leave me alone. Stop. How did you get my phone number? How did you get my email? Leave me alone. Because she keeps bothering me. I'll give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Eventually, the persistence of this widow was so intense that the judge gives her justice just to get rid of her. The moral of the story, if you really annoy God with your persistent prayers, (laughs) you will receive what you have asked so that you will quit bothering him. Now, we've got to be careful here, because without you carefully examining this parable, that's what some of us will automatically assume. When, you know, when I look at this parable today, I apply it, it's because it says the word justice. I apply it to justice causes like human trafficking or North Korea or oppression that I see in the world. And, and, I, and I cry out, Lord, give us justice. Lord, release your freedom and healing in North Korea. Do not delay it. God, I'm knocking on the doors of heaven. Release your healing waters into North Korea. But you know what? I got to admit that back when I was a college student, whenever I look at this parable, there was only one cause that came to my mind. Lord, help me. Hurry up so I can get married. Hallelujah. Okay, that was the only cause that came to my mind whenever I read a parable like this. Okay. Call me selfish or shallow, all right? But that was, that, was, that was what I used to think about a lot. I would say, Lord, quicken the day of my marriage. Lord, prepare me to be a wonderful husband. Lord, prepare my bride. <laughs> I used to pray this all the time. And I would, when I would pray this, I would be like, man, Christian, you shouldn't be spending so much time praying about this. Pray for other things. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Well, you're spending too much time praying about this. And whenever I start thinking that, i was saying, no. Remember the parable. <laughs> all right? If I pester God enough, all right, I thought if I, the more I pester God, the faster I will get married. All right? So I'll continually bring this petition before the Lord. <clears throat> but we know that that's not a good message to take out of this parable. Because that's not the point of the parable, actually. okay, point of the parable is be persistent in prayer. I mean, the point of the parable is not be persistent in prayer and if you pray, if you annoy God enough, He will give you what you ask. All right. Of course that's not the, that's not the point. All right. And we've got to really be careful because that's what we will begin to think if we don't really examine this parable. That's not the main point of this parable because the character of the judge in this parable has no resemblance to the character of our God. That's why that that would be a false interpretation for this parable. The judge was not righteous and just because he didn't fear God. But the judge that we know in heaven is righteous and just because, because he is God. We have to be careful that in this parable, we don't compare this judge to our God. That's not what Jesus is doing here at all. Jesus is not using this parable to compare this godless judge to our Heavenly Father, but rather to contrast them. Instead of showing the similarities, that's what we do when we compare, instead he does it simply to show the differences. Because in fact, there are no similarities between this judge and our God. Our our, our God is amazingly good, but this judge is totally selfish. Our God is compassionate and kind, but this judge is apathetic and cold. So look at verse 6 and 7. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect? Cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? Hallelujah. If, <coughs> if a selfish judge responds to the persistence of a poor widow in this way, a poor widow that he doesn't even care about, Jesus is saying, how much more, Will your father in heaven respond to the persistence of his children who he does care about? This parable is not urging us to pester God until he acts. It is saying that we simply need to persist. Because God is a good and loving father. He is a good and righteous judge. He is ready to act. The unjust judge responds reluctantly. Oh man, let me get rid of her. But our God is ready to respond swiftly. Amen? Especially when it comes to justice causes that we see on the earth. Especially when it comes to North Korea. Our God is ready to act swiftly. Now, (coughs) Although the unjust judge here, he refuses this widow for a while. Our God, he will never refuse us. Especially when it comes to justice. And especially when it comes to dealing with our adversary. The devil. God, he will not refuse us. In fact, whatever looks like a delay is simply a setup for our breakthrough. For God to release his response to our persistence. Thus, we ought always to pray and never lose heart. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> but I believe this parable contains another contrast that preachers often overlook, and that's the contrast between us and the widow. You know, the Bible says that God has a big heart for orphans and widows. Why does why does the Bible say that? Why not for expats and short people? I mean, why is it for widows and orphans? Why God have such a big heart for widows and orphans? Why? Because being a widow, if you didn't really think about it, let me tell you about it right now. Being a widow is one of the toughest situations to face on the earth. Depending on the culture, the severity of this will depend. It it will depend on the culture. But in certain cultures, a widow has no source of income. She has no way to get a job. And thus, widows, they live in poverty. A lot of them are very poor. And if they have children, they have to raise the children alone. And if the widow is childless, then she has no way to have children and continue and start a family. A widow is dependent on the help of others. A widow, uh, there's a stigma, a social stigma attached with widows. Many times, a widow is vulnerable and defenseless. And many times, evil men, they take advantage and they exploit and they extort widows. And therefore, the Bible says God has a big heart for widows and orphans. He has a big heart for those who are vulnerable, defenseless. When no one will take up their cause, our God will take up their cause. Amen. And uh, you know, we need to have that same heart. We need to have that same heart. Now praise little John Michaels, uh, you know, he's not here anymore at this campus, but you know, he just came back from a U.S. trip. and you know John Michael, man, he's not particularly fond of children, not the, from what I can tell. you know? But man, he is in there obedient. He lived inside the orphanage for many years. He is manifesting the heart of our Father. Our God has a big heart for widows and orphans. (coughs) Being a widow is tough. And I'm coming back to this passage here. In the parable, just as the unjust judge had nothing in common with God, have you ever thought about the fact that we have nothing in common with the widow? The widow was a stranger to the judge. They had no relation. But we are God's elect. We have a relationship with God. We are chosen by God. He knows us by name. He loves us. He delights in us. He cares for us. Nothing in common with the widow. The widow was told to keep her distance. Hey, woman! Hey, I saw you yesterday, all right? I remember you. Can you stay away? Yo, bodyguards, yo, yo, get that woman away from me. Okay. The widow is told to keep her distance. And the main reason why the judge finally relents and gives justice for her was to get her away from him. But the church, we come to a judge that invites us to draw near to him. He he invites us to draw near to him with confidence and boldness. We come to a judge that teaches us, don't just call me judge. Call me Abba Father. We got nothing in common with this widow. In this parable, there's only one widow with one voice. But in the church, there are multitudes of saints crying out many voices as one for the same cause. The Bible says in Matthew 18, 19, that if two of you agree about anything on earth, it will be done by my Father in heaven. We have nothing in common with this widow. This widow had one lonely voice. I don't care if you feel lonely, but I'm telling you today, brothers and sisters, if you're in the church, you, if you're a part, you're a member, you're a member of the body of Christ, you are not alone. And you know what? If you are carrying that prayer concern, or you've been carrying that justice cause by yourself, you need to stop carrying it by yourself. Amen. Give your brothers and sisters an opportunity to give voice to the concerns that you're bringing before God. Because you're not alone. We have nothing in common with this widow. The widow, she had no friend. She had no lawyer that could, that could speak on her behalf to add force to her petition. But the Bible tells us that we have an advocate with the Father. His Son, Jesus Christ, whoever lives to make intercession for us before the throne of the Father. He adds force to our petition. Hallelujah. Somebody say, "That's that's good. Jesus stands in the courtroom of heaven and He adds force to your petitions. Are you not happy that we have an advocate, we have a lawyer that has great influence in heaven but the widow didn't have that the widow could only access only she could only have access to the judge at certain times but Jesus tells us through this parable that we may cry out to God day and night we got access to the throne room of God. Day and night. 7-11. 24-7. It's always open. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you ever looked at the earth? How the earth... At no point on the earth, at any point in time, has everyone been, been sleeping. Why? All right, it's, a, it's a reflection of the fact that God is awake 24-7. I mean, if God wanted to sleep, he would have created earth in a way where everybody goes to sleep in the whole entire world by midnight. Doesn't happen. All right? When people are waking up, <coughs> when people are wake, waking up in, in uh, no, when people are going to, no, let me do this right, People are going to sleep in New York. You got people waking up in Korea. And that's the best example I'll give. All right. (laughs) God is always awake. The Bible says God does not sleep. He's always available for you. Day and night. Day and night. But the widow, widow didn't have that kind of access. The widow's persistence was annoying to the judge. She had this fear that her persistence may actually provoke the judge to oppose her and ignore her. But our persistence is not annoying. Hallelujah. Our persistence is pleasing to the Lord. Amen? It is pleasing to the Lord. The prayer of the righteous is His delight. Therefore, we put great hope in prayer because the pro- Bible promises that prayer is both effective and pleasing to God. Hallelujah. But the widow, every time she opened her mouth, it was annoying. But you see, brothers and sisters, the church is not a widow but a bride. I want all of you to turn to your neighbor right now. Tell your neighbor, you are not a widow. You are not a widow. <laughs> you are not a widow. Jesus gives us two contrasts in this parable. It makes this parable doubly powerful. Jesus gives us two contrasts. And you know, we need to shift our perspective. Not just on how we see the judge, but on how we see ourselves. But you know, a lot of times the church, we act more like a widow than a bride. When we pray, we pray like a widow. We pray like we're broke. We pray like we're abandoned. We pray like we got, no, we got zero balance in the bank account and bills piling up in the, in, the, in the mailbox. We act like widows. We live like poor widows with no access to anything better than what we can earn for ourselves. We live like we've been abandoned. We live like we're left to just fend for ourselves. Just like a widow. Brothers and sisters, we need to wake up today. The church is not a widow. We are the bride of Christ. The only thing that we have in common with the widow is that we both have adversaries. That's the only thing we have in common. You know, a bride that's married to a wealthy man, a bride that knows she is loved by her wealthy husband, she knows that if she expresses her desires to her man, she will not be denied. That's why a lot of sisters say you want to marry a wealthy husband. Because you know that... Now, some brides are married to wealthy husbands, but they don't think they're loved. And if you, if you don't believe you're loved, you're not going to ask. If you don't believe you're loved, you're not even going to bother. You're going to feel like you're just annoying him. But if you know you are loved and you're married to a wealthy husband, you know you can express even just little inklings and you know you're going to get what you, what you asked for. Such a bride knows that she can express her most deepest desires and she will be her. She will not be denied. Now, I was just thinking, (coughs) when Aaron and I, we were engaged, we were engaged for about a little less than a year. We were engaged for like maybe eight months, right? We were engaged for about eight months. And uh, I was thinking, during that time when Aaron was engaged to me, if Aaron started to act and behave in a way <coughs> that <laughs> demonstrated that I had suddenly died, but like if she started to behave like, you know, I'm engaged to Christian, and, but, but then she knows she's engaged to me, but she starts to act like she has nothing to look forward to. She starts to act like, uh, oh no, I got to start like, Like paying, uh, squeezing all my uh, savings and and hoarding all my wealth because uh, Christian uh, is not going to be able to, he doesn't want to provide for me. He doesn't want to, uh, I got to go and find a nice apartment. You know, like she starts getting all anxious and just acting like she doesn't have a husband that's going to take care of her. Like if she started acting that way, like she doesn't have a husband that's going to marry her. If during those eight months she acted like she doesn't have a husband that's going to marry her, you know how that would make me feel? First of all, that would make me feel dishonored. I'd be like, girl, don't you know I'm going to take care of you? Can you stop worrying? I know I'm not that wealthy, but look, I'm going to take care of you, girl. Stop dishonoring me. All my friends are finding out about what you've been doing. What you doing at the casino? Why are you buying all the lottery tickets? You're gonna be okay. Just stick with me, girl. And one way I'll feel dishonored, <coughs> but you know, in another sense, it would make me feel so sad. I'll look at her, honey. What are you doing right now? Oh, um, I'm walk- I'm working at the supermarket. What? Why are you working at the supermarket? Because I'm worried about our finances. We, you know, we, we don't have any money. No, honey, we, I have some money saved. Don't, don't worry. You know, God's going to provide. I know God will provide through me. Hey, get out of that supermarket. What are you doing? She said, okay, hangs up. She keeps working at the supermarket. If I had to observe her like that during our engagement, that would make me feel so sad. Don't you believe that I can do this? Don't you believe that I can be your husband? That made me feel so sad. <coughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the real story. That's not how Aaron acted when you were engaged. <laughs> Aaron was a fiance that was confident that she was getting married. And I don't know what was going through her head. She's not good with math. I think I think she thought I was like really wealthy because of the engagement ring I got her. But she just started spending money like left and right. I was like, honey, do you have any money saved up? She's like, why? I tell you, I, this is the truth. True story, right? Two months after our engagement, I was like, are you saving up for the wedding? She's like, why? I was like, girl... I'm saving up for the wedding. I got about seven thousand dollars in the bank. How much you got? She said, "Oh, I guess I should start saving too." <laughs> <laughs> because our, our both our families were having financial hard times, so you know we we just kind of had to do what we had to do. And anyway, she was confident, man, that 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 I was going to take care of her. Yeah. Brothers and sisters. We are not widows. We are brides. We are brides that are engaged to the king of kings. We are not widows because our groom is not dead. He died, but check this out. The Bible says that on the third day, he rose again and is living to make a for you. We're not widows, so stop acting like we're widows. We are brides. Looking forward to our marriage union with the king. You know, the Bible, in the Bible, there's a story of David. And David was offered the daughter of Saul for marriage. So David said, man, I can't just marry your daughter. You're the king. I can't just marry your daughter. Let me pay a price. Let me pay a bride price for your daughter. So Saul's like, all right. Hmm. I don't like you. So how can I get you killed? All right. All right. Bring me back 100 foreskins of Philistine warriors. Okay. For those who don't understand what I'm talking about, please ask your neighbor later. (laughs) Because I'm getting too much heat for being politically incorrect up here. All right, he had to get 100 foreskins. So, you know what David did? He went out and he got how many? 300 foreskins. Put them in a bag. I mean, he's probably covered in blood. He probably did it in one one battle. Can you imagine? That's sick, right? But David's thinking, this is love. I'm so romantic. My wife's going to love me when she hears what I went, went through for her. Brings it back. Almost cost him his life. Gives it to Saul. Says, give me my bride. And so I said, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Honey, come on out. <laughs> and and she, he had his bride. When I was courting Aaron, I also had to pay a bride price to marry her. And that's we still have that today. But oftentimes in American culture, it's in the form of a big fat diamond engagement ring that costs you three to five months salary. For me, it cost me over three years of fasting lunch, saving up money, and then having my Apple stock go through the roof. That also helped as well. Good old Apple. God bless Apple. But I, I had to save up for many years to get that, get, that, get that money ready. And brothers in here, if you're serious about marriage, you better be saving up. You better be saving up. Show to the Lord that you're really serious. Lord, Lord, hurry up. Help me get married. Lord's like, all right. Well, start preparing yourself. Prepare yourself financially. Prepare yourself emotionally. Prepare yourself. Show me I'm, you're serious. And I'll show you what I can do. Anyway, I had to pay. I, hallelujah. <coughs> sisters are like, amen. Come on. (laughs) I like that point. Stay on that point, Pastor Christian. Preach it. I I have to pay a high price to get engaged to Aaron. David paid a very high price to get engaged to Saul's daughter. Well, let me tell you about something. Christ has paid a great price to marry you. Well, where David spilled the men, he spilled the blood of other men. Jesus spilled his own blood to pay the price so he can marry you. And Jesus is saying, look, the price the price is paid. You are my bride. You are not a widow. I'm with you. Always. And there will come a day. When we will be united face to face. But look. While you're on this earth. You got to live like you're my bride. And look. There's somebody on earth here. That's gonna help you. He's gonna refine you. He's gonna purify you. He's gonna prepare you for the day in which we will be married together. You know who that person is? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of his jobs here on earth is to prepare you as a radiant and spotless bride for the King. That's why you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just so you can do things while on earth for God, but so that you can be a radiant bride unto Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God get filled by the Holy Spirit. You got to be led by the Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, when Aaron and I, we were engaged, and this is why we counsel young people to have short engagements. All right? Aaron and I, we were tempted in our engagement because at one point we didn't know when we were going to get married because we were all this family disagreements and they were saying, oh, three years you can get married. I know you are engaged but you just have to wait three years. All right? You got to wait until her brother gets married first. You got to, you got to wait, you know, all this stuff. and all this stuff. So we're not sure when we're going to get married. So Aaron and I, we'll, we'll, sometimes we'll just be like, uh, honey, I heard a friend Went over to the U.S. Embassy. And they got married. And then they had a ceremony a year and a half later. Maybe we should take that to the Lord. (laughs) And obviously, you all know why I was thinking that. All right? Because as your pastor, just because I'm your pastor does not mean... That I don't have hormones. All right. And Aaron is an attractive woman. (coughs) And I am an attractive man. (coughs) And you know what? We were serious. We we were like like this close to seriously looking into it and actually doing it. But hallelujah that we didn't. But you know what? If somebody, if a couple, like, decided to do that, I wouldn't blame them. You know? I'd be like, man, y'all want to get it on? Man, you can't do it until you're married. (laughs) So, look, if you really can't wait, if you really can't wait, go down to City Hall. you really can't wait, go to the embassy. Get married. Be legally married before at least one witness. Be legally married before God and before one witness, and then... You know, you all do what you do, and then you're going to have to lie for like a good year or two <laughs> until your marriage day. Well, that's up to you. All right? But, you know, I know friends that actually did that. They didn't wait a year, but they waited maybe a month or two. They got legally married, you know, got it on, and then they had their wedding maybe a month or two later. Now, I'm not advising that. <laughs> Don't do that. <clears throat> Don't do that because, like I said, you're going to have to lie to your parents. And you're not going to feel good when you're doing that. Alright, it's better to wait and get the honor and blessing of everybody involved. But sometimes when that's not possible, I understand there's a grace provision to do that. Alright, but if you can, just chama, alright? Men of God, be patient. (laughs) Now, why am I mentioning that? The reason I'm mentioning that is because this is one analogy that can be used in our relationship with Christ. You see, Christ paid the bridal price. He has bought the engagement ring. And when you accept him, you say, I do. You say, you don't say, I do. You just say, yes. Will you marry me? Yes. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. You're just saying, Jesus is like, will you marry me? Knock, knock, knock. Will you marry me? And you're saying, Yes. And you put that ring on your finger. <laughs> all right? Well, that ring, it, it cost him his blood. He paid the price, all right, to, to marry you. Okay. But the thing is, you're legally married, but your ceremony has not yet taken place. So I want to so understand what I'm saying here. The reason why I brought up that scenario that Aaron and I somewhat considered, but didn't really seriously consider is to make the point that in our relationship with Christ, we are positionally, legally, we are married to Him. But we have yet to fully celebrate that marriage. But you see, Christ is not waiting for just one or ten people. He's waiting for a church. A radiant bride. So that when He returns the bride that he finds on earth will be supremely pleasing to his heart. I don't know about churches in ages past, but I'll tell you right now, the church that Christ wants to find when he comes at a second return, he wants to find a church that is spotless, radiant, and in love with him. Brothers and sisters, the paperwork is all done. We are legally married. So you can say bride of Christ. You can say wife of Christ if you want to. But a lot of people don't use that. Why? Why? Because there's something that has yet to take place. And that is the marriage banquet. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. That the Bible keeps talking about. Where there will be free flowing wine. Yes, I said wine. There will be alcohol at this piece. All right? Because some people, they need alcohol in order to get loose. I don't know. I don't know why there would be alcohol there. But there would be alcohol, all right? That's what the Bible says in Isaiah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is you are not widows. You are brides pledged, engaged to the king of kings. Hallelujah. And I know the marriage, the wedding hasn't happened yet. But that does not negate the fact that you are his brides. In heaven, it's already a done deal. It's just a matter of time until you actually have the ceremony. Hallelujah. And how glorious that ceremony will be. where you, We are united with him. And we celebrate. Like it's 1999, ninety nine nine. 1999. I don't know. It's gonna be good though. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm going to close with this. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> and will not, give God, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? For those who persist in prayer, Jesus is saying, God will not delay long. He may delay, but He's not going to delay long. It says says in verse 8, I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Somebody say speedily. Speedily. Quickly. Quickly. With the quickness. God will give justice. He may delay, but He will not delay long. He will give justice. He will open up the doors of North Korea. Hallelujah. And He will not delay. He will give justice. And He will give it with the quickness. For those who persist in praying before Him. Not as widows, but as brides as those who are pledged to the king and they know they have access to every resource that is in the king's house. Brothers and sisters, we ought never to give up, but always persist in prayer because our identity in Christ, it tells us that God will not delay. He will answer your prayers. You will get married. <laughs> you know, and that's not, that's not funny. <laughs> that's not funny because, you know, that's just a bonus, right? In the Bible, you had the story of Ruth. Ruth was the widow of widows. You know why? Because she had her husband. And her husband died suddenly, leaving her no children. And then it was in the cultural norm in that day that if your brother's wife, if your brother died and left a wife and you were the next older brother, you had to marry that woman. I mean, that that was a terrible cultural thing to do. (laughs) I mean, imagine that. I mean, it's not terrible. It's, It's good in the sense that it provided for widows. It was like a gracious thing, you know. But I mean, what if you don't like the girl and and you thought, you know, she wasn't that pretty. She's got an attitude. I don't know what you know. But so so Ruth loses her original husband, and then she tries to have a child through the next brother, and then he dies. Then it go right Am I am I getting it right? No no. That's um that's um Tamar. What is it? Tamar, that's Judah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's another, that's another story. That's another good story of a widow. Anyway, in, in that story, Tamar, Tamar marries and the, and the husband dies. She marries the next older brother. That, the, that husband dies. Next older brother, Lord strikes him dead. And so the Judah, who is the father here of the sons, he's like, man, I got one more son remaining. You is not getting with him. First of all, he's like 12 years old. Second of all, I don't want him to die. (laughs) And so, you know, Tamar, if you read the rest of the story, uh, she uh, dresses up like a prostitute. And Judah, uh, he had had a sexual immorality issue. And so he's just walking down and he's like, hey. Hey. Are you doing what I think you're doing? (laughs) Come on, girl. Come on. Right here. Right here. Quickly. Come And then he slept with his daughter-in-law, not knowing that it was his daughter-in-law. And then later on, daughter-in-law got pregnant by him. So Judah finds out that she's pregnant. And in his righteousness, in his self righteousness, he grabs her hair, brings her out violently before everyone, and says, Stone her to death. She's an adulterer. You know what this woman did? She is so witty she's so smart it was all premeditated (laughs) she said well the, the father of this child is the man to whom these belong and she brings out a couple articles that Judah had pledged to her because he didn't have enough money and she says this is the man who's the father Judah says oh my goodness that's mine that's my cell phone Man, this this woman is more righteous than I. All right, and the amazing thing is, Tamar was a great 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 great, grandmother of Jesus Christ. Now, hold on. Why was I sharing that? Oh yeah, yeah. Man, I'm sorry, man. I got I got I got all defensive because I don't know my Bible. Oh snap! I better. All right, shut up. Don't judge me. (laughs) All right, like you don't make mistakes. All right, God ain't through with me yet. All right, I'm still learning. I'm still still studying, all right? But, uh... Now I'm just going to close in prayer. Hallelujah. All right, let's pray, let's pray. I'm just going to ask... I'm going to ask the altar team to come up. Let's ask the altar team to come up. The Bible says that Christ has paid a great price, a great bridal price to marry you. But like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people in the church, although they know this in their head, they don't really know it in their hearts. Now, although their identity is as a bride of Christ. They continue to live like widows. They continue to live like they're broke. Like they're abandoned. And I just want to take about 8 minutes, 8-10 eight, minutes. And I just want to give opportunity for our leaders to just pray for anybody in here. Who feels like you've been living your life. You've been doing this Christian walk. You've been feeling like a widow. You feel poor. You feel vulnerable. You feel abandoned. You feel like when you pray, you feel like you're just annoying God. You feel like He wants you to go away. If that's what you've been feeling and struggling with, We want to pray for you. We want to pray for you and bless you. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. You know you're a bride. But you've been living like a widow. And you want to put an end to that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. anybody like that in this room I want you to stand to your feet and we just want to pray for you Holy Spirit begin to establish the identity of the bride into the heart and mind of your people today God we don't have to beg we don't have to plead To get our requests heard from you. For you are a loving father. A righteous judge. You are more than willing. You are not reluctant. God, we just want to live like brides. We're tired of living like widows. That's you. I'm going to just ask you if you're standing up. Just come out of your seats. All right, just say, excuse me, come out of your seats, come here to the front. I would just ask the leaders here just to pray for you and just receive that. You've heard the message. Now just let the Holy Spirit bless that message and solidify it on your heart. All right, go ahead. Pray for leaders, go ahead start praying for people.